Welcome everyone to Overcome Podcast, episode 51. And uh, for this episode, we have an Olympian. Uh, we had many Olympians in the past, but this one here is fresh out of Tokyo Olympians. Uh, the great judoka, Cotton Brown. Thanks for being here today, Cotton. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on here. I, I really appreciate this. Absolutely, my friend. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to record this. Uh, I have a lot of uh, questions to you. And I'm going to really start from the beginning. You, you, I was reading a little bit more about your background. It looks like you start really early. You start with seven years old. Your father seems to be uh, the main inspiration. He was also a black belt in judo. Yeah. And... Um, um, did you enjoy judo right away as soon as you started uh, or because you were going with your father it was more um, almost like uh, uh, you had to to do it but then with time you start to be more passionate about it exactly i did not enjoy judo in the beginning um, <laughs> I, I i tell everybody i even tell my kids to this day and the kids that i teach now they don't they don't believe me but I cried every day for the first two years of judo. I two years, wow. Two years. Every single day for two years, I cried. I did not like judo. I did not like going to judo. Um, but my dad told me, he said, listen, you started this and you're not going to stop. So he kind of, he, he I, I, in a sense, he forced me to, to stay in it. But now I'm, I'm, I owe everything to him and I'm, I'm completely grateful that he, that he got me involved in this amazing sport. Yeah, so if the first two years were really hard for you, I'm assuming that you did not compete until you were probably like 10 years old, or did you compete even when you didn't want to? <laughs> no, I competed even when I didn't want to, and I lost, and that made me hate it even more. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very rough road for me in the beginning. Wow. Uh, well, but he had a purpose, and, I, and, and as you said, today you look back and you see he was right about doing that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I thank him all the time. You know, he was here tonight with me at my facility teaching, helping me teach the kids and teach the adults. So he's been a huge part of my life. And from the beginning, obviously, like he's been a huge part of my judo career, my success. And now he's helping me in this aspect of it. And he's given so much to me. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I could ever repay him. But he says I already have. But again, I don't know. Oh, you, you probably feel extremely proud of you for sure. Uh, if uh, if two years was really the time that you started enjoying, what really click? You know, for you to be like, well, this is actually cool. Um, I started winning. So <laughs> I, 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 my dad told me he was like, all right, listen, you just have to keep showing up. Eventually, you'll start to win. And I went to, they took me to the junior nationals or the junior US Open in Florida. Um, and I got to go on a plane. I'd never been on an airplane before. And um, my, none of my friends had ever been on an airplane. So it was cool. I was missing school for a day. I got to go on a plane. <laughs> and then I won. I'd been doing judo four, four days a week. I still hated it every day. And then I won. I went three or four matches. I won three or four matches and I took gold in that tournament. And uh, then I really started to like judo, and I got a big trophy for it. And I said, "Okay, now I I love the trophies and I love winning, but <laughs> I had to fall in love with what it took to what it was going to take to get those things." Awesome, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and from from that point on, you start evolving, get better. What what really were some of the mistakes you made uh, early on in your journey? I mean, after you were already passionate and you were evolving. But what were some of the mistakes you made uh, early on before you become a black belt, of course, uh, that you nowadays you teach your students to avoid to fall into the same trap? Absolutely. Um, that's a really good question. Uh, some of the mistakes that I made early were, um, you know, go doing what felt right and not sticking to the fundamentals. Like mm. just because you're doing something in judo, just because you're doing a technique and it's working doesn't mean you're doing it the right way. And eventually, if you're not doing it the right way, you're going to go up against an opponent that's better and they're going to expose you and then you will eventually lose because of that. So I had been doing something. I had been doing um, my Koshi Gruma, the, one of the throws in judo. I had been doing it incorrectly from when I was a, from, from a young age, but it was working. I was winning with it and I was like, I'm not going to change it. And my dad would always tell me, he said, listen, you're going to run up against somebody and it's not going to work. The better you get, the better these kids get, the more competition you have, this throw is not going to work. 
And I didn't believe him because I was young. So I just kept doing it. I said, yeah, right. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm still winning. And uh, yeah, eventually I, I ate my words and I, I ended up losing in the finals of a tournament with this Koshi Grimm. I got taken back and thrown free pwn. Oh, wow. And I, uh, yeah, I felt so really bad So you definitely learn hard way in, in, in a competition. I, <laughs> yes. And, and that, that seems to go with everything that I do. It, it always takes me losing to learn that, uh, to, to get it through my head that, okay, I'm going to make a change now. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's so amazing that your father saw this coming like way before you, right? Yeah, he's and, and that that trend also seemed to follow me throughout my judo career. He he he's a he's a student of the game. Mm. So my father watches more judo. He watches more tape hours and hours and hours of tape a week. And he sits and he studies judo. He studies modern judo. He studies older judo. And he's a real student of the game. So he sees things that I didn't. Even, you know, leading up to my last Olympics, he saw things that I didn't necessarily see. And he would make changes often in my game that were that were the right call. Interesting. Very interesting. I, I read a, an interview about you uh, uh, recently. Um, and, and you said one thing that I thought that was uh, very interesting. Uh, you said, one thing I would tell someone who wants to take up on judo is that patience is a virtue. Um, so can you, ex can you expand on that? Why you got to this conclusion? Uh, I got to this conclusion through, well, first, it all started with those first two years. You know, I had to be extremely patient throughout that time. And judo teaches you, if judo doesn't teach you anything else, it teaches you patience. Because judo is an extremely technical sport and it requires a lot of time and effort to learn the techniques and it, it you fail a lot. And I think that's why one of the sayings in judo is, you, you know, I, I used to hear as a kid all the time, fall down seven times, get up eight. Mm -hmm. And even though that doesn't make any sense, it really applies to judo because you are going to fail a lot. And if you, if I was ever to quit just because I failed or just because I didn't like something or just because something wasn't working, I would never be in the position that I'm in right now. I would never live the life that I live right now. So I teach this to my kids all the time that you have to have patience and judo is a very humbling art and it'll, it'll teach you, you know, it'll teach you that patience is a virtue. And if you have patience and you respect the game, you'll achieve success eventually. And, and there is no way to bypass uh, time, I think, also, right? I mean, you really have to put the time to work. It, it, it just takes time. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. Exactly. Absolutely. Everything, you know, everything good takes time. So anything worth having, it, it takes some fighting for and it takes time. Yeah. And, and I'm discovering that because I started judo uh, late in life. I started judo with, uh, when I was 45. I'm 47 now. And... Uh, It's hard to start when you are above 40. It, and actually, in my dojo, some of the folks said, well, I, we don't really see a lot of people starting after 40s because, you know, it's a, it's a tough sport in your body, right? So it, it's, I think it takes even more time after 40s. Do you, do you have any uh, students uh, above 40 on your gym? Yes, I actually do. I have a couple of students over the age of 40. And, you know, I have, I have the utmost respect for guys like that, guys and girls like that, because... As you said, this is an incredibly tough sport on the body. You're taking falls. It's like I think it's the equivalent of being hit by a car, honestly. Like I think that's how hard it is and and for for people that find beauty in this sport at that age and just they come in for a workout and because they genuinely want to learn and they are willing to put their body through that type of abuse to learn this. Man, I, I have I have a lot lot of respect for for people like that. So I have a lot of respect for you. Thank you, thank I appreciate that. I still learn. It's still on my green belt, so I'll, I'll get there one day. <laughs> Patience. There we go. Yes, Back to exactly. That yep. uh, on the same interview, uh, you said uh, when that you went were preparing for Tokyo, you were taking things like recovery and nutrition a lot more serious this time. So this caught my attention. What really changed? in your routine uh, and why did you make those changes? And because it, it, it felt like you were really focused on recovery and nutrition for, for Tokyo, right? Absolutely, yeah, recovery and nutrition were my were my two biggest changes in the game for Tokyo. Like before, before Rio, I was young, so I didn't really, I didn't take it too seriously, but age catches up to you and it took my, it started taking my body longer to recover. Mm. 
and I was trading, like I would be trading the same amount as far as volume is concerned. I was trading the same amount before uh, Tokyo as I was for Rio, but I, w I was finding it was just so much harder to recover and my body would just be sore and I would have injuries that were lingering. And I, I sat and I, I really thought about this and I was like, wow, I'm, I'm approaching 30 years old. I have to make a change. Hmm. And the biggest thing that I did was um, I met, I, I through my physical therapist, I met somebody named uh, Chris Flores. And he is, they, he does animal flow and he does a lot of movement and mobility. And I added that to my training. So every morning at 530, I would go do an hour of mobility training. Wow. And this was the one thing I think I, I had been doing it for a year and two months, I think. And during that year and two months, I never got injured one time. That was the longest time ever I went in my career without being injured. And I, my recovery between workouts was just so much better. And then the food part was I didn't want to cut a lot of weight. So I didn't really want to be taking care of my body mm -hmm. uh, and doing all of this movement and mobility and putting all this time, effort and money into my body. And then I'm putting McDonald's yep. into my body. Like that, it just, it didn't make any sense. Right. So. I, I wanted my weight cuts to be smooth and I wanted to focus on judo. When I was training, I wanted to focus on judo and not as much cutting weight. And that's why I chose to make those changes and those proved to be the two best changes I've ever made. Because you're 90 kilos uh, div uh, division, right? Uh, so yeah. that means you were walking around before uh, the competition with what, 95, 100? Yeah, 95, 96. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's uh, it gives you a good amount of time to to cut without having to sacrifice power and everything. Exactly. Exactly. And then there was the nutrition helped and it kept my inflammation down. So that also aided in my recovery. Like you know, I think athletes at the highest level, all of us are willing to put in the work. We're willing to put in the work. We're willing to train hard. We're willing to always practice hard. But the problem is our bodies don't let us. Yep. So, you know, the, the injuries, the little injuries, the because you're so sore, things like that, they stop you from training hard. And I was, so I figured if I was able to cut those injuries out, I'll be able to push myself as hard as I possibly could. And that will give me the best chance at a result. And that would, that would make me feel physically and mentally the best. Now, on the recover perspective, did you also increase the amount of hours that you were sleeping? Because sleep is a big part of recovery. Or, or you just add some naps throughout the day? <laughs> Both. Uh, I've always taken naps throughout the day. So in between training sessions, I would nap. I would take an hour nap in between sessions and I was making sure that I was sleeping at least eight hours a night. And that was tough because again, I was waking up at 4.45 right. every single morning. So every morning I wake up at 4.45. And so that means right when I got out of judo, I would come home, shower, eat a little bit and then go right to sleep and then wake up. And that's tough because when you just get done doing a hard judo session, the last thing your body wants to do is sleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it was tough at times, but I had to train myself to do it. Do you it. believe that was your best prep? Um, yeah, I think that was my best prep. I, I felt the day of the competition, July 28th uh, of last year, July 28th, 2021, I woke up and I felt the best I had ever felt in my life, even before the competition. I woke up and I was like, man, this is incredible. I had a great feeling mentally. And I felt incredible physically. So I had no injuries. I had no nothing that was aching me. Mm. Everything felt incredible. And I, I, I attribute it to that year, I, the year and two months. So the 14 months of training that I put in and the recovery and everything that I went through, I, I attribute that to, to my feeling so great in Tokyo. So, of course, as you were feeling amazingly physically, there is still a lot of pressure to represent U.S. at the Olympics and to walk in, into the mat and everything. How were you dealing with the this uh, psychological pressure? Do you do you have, or do you don't get nervous at all? Oh no, I think everybody gets nervous, <laughs> and I think if people tell you they don't get nervous, I, I don't think they're telling the truth. So everybody gets nervous. Um, I've been getting the same nerves that I had when I was seven years old competing. I still had on the day of Tokyo, wow. 23 years later, Amazing. I still had that 23 years, all the competitions I've been in all around the world, it was the exact same nerves. I think that you get, you, you get used to manage, you get better at managing the nerves, but it's the exact same nerves. 
Um, but the way that I dealt with it was I knew going into Tokyo that that was going to be my last competition. Hmm. I knew that. So I was basically saying, no matter what happens, I want to leave the best version of myself on that mat just so I personally have no regrets. So for the last few months leading into Tokyo, the only thing that I would have in my mind in trading was becoming the best possible version of myself. And um, yeah, that's that's what it that's was. Amazing. I was I, so I didn't feel much pressure because I didn't really care about what anyone else thought. Mm -hmm. I just didn't want to look back five years from now and say, man, I wish I would have done that. And I can honestly say that I will not do that. That's amazing. That's I think that this feeling definitely release a lot of pressure from your shoulders and even allow you to perform better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I read also, I, I think it was on the same interview, that you are uh, practicing uh, jiu-jitsu. Uh, and you want to also become a black belt in jiu-jitsu. How that is going so far? It's going great. I actually just got my purple belt last week. Nice. Congratulations. So... Thank you so much. It's going great. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I really believe in being a complete grappler. A lot of my students and the clients that I work with, uh, they do jujitsu and they're just doing judo to get better at jujitsu. So if I was just a strictly, if I was strictly just a judo guy, uh, I would have no, I would have nothing to relate to them. Like, I don't know what their training is like. I wouldn't know how jujitsu guys fight on their feet and things like that. So I think part of becoming a better coach is putting yourself in the same position as your athletes. And a lot of my athletes are jujitsu guys, but more importantly, I, I think becoming a complete grappler is something that I've always wanted to do. So I've always been, I, I, I wrestle, I've wrestled before in the past. Um, I do a lot of no-gi jujitsu now. I do a lot of things in the gi. I think that that's complete because a lot of times, you know, I, I, I feel like I need to be good outside of the judo gi as well right and and that's what a lot a lot of my time is going towards because i never got really i never really had time to train that when i was doing judo because i was so focused on doing things in the gi now i've gotten to take off the gi and it's a whole new world for me mm -hmm. and it's exciting and there's so many more there's so many more things that i can do but also it helps me in the gi so being able to maneuver outside it helps me use my body and not rely as much on my grips So it ends up translating well. Yeah, and I think also uh, we've seen some of the cross-training happening even in Japan. I was uh, watching a documentary of the Japanese uh, female team uh, leading up to Tokyo. They were actually training jiu-jitsu to improve their yep. Niwaza game. Um, so yep. there's a lot of athletes, even on that level, that are doing cross-training just to get better on Niwaza. Uh, and we, we saw a lot of Niwaza uh, finishing submission uh, during the Olympics. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that I, I honestly think that every judoka should train or be at least familiar in jujitsu because there, you know, there's four ways to win in judo. Three of them are on the ground. <laughs> And a lot of people forget that. A lot of people all only want to throw, but there are three ways to win on the ground. And it, it, there's there's a lot. So there's a lot of opportunity. But, you know, I think that um, uh, judo guys that train jujitsu and vice versa, there's no pressure. So when I go to train jiu-jitsu, it's literally just fun. Mm -hmm. There's no pressure because it's not my sport. I'm not training for the world championships in jiu-jitsu. I'm literally just training to have fun and to learn a little bit more, to learn a little bit more about that and to just use it to get better at judo. So I don't have, there's no competition. There's nothing really, um, there's no stress. There's no pressure, none of that. And I think that you train, when you train more freely, you get more out of the sessions. But I think you you have a huge advantage, even for a purple belt, because of your years of experience in judo. You already have a very strong Nawaza game. So the transition was very smooth for you. And even when you were blue, probably you were, you know, passing guard and doing things easily uh, for a blue belt, I believe. Absolutely. It's, you know, I think it's equivalent to a jiu-jitsu guy doing Nawaza in judo. <laughs> I, it's, you know, they, they're, they are going to... We, we, I spend, no matter, even though I didn't do jiu-jitsu or I never trained jiu-jitsu for the first 15, 20 years of my career, I spent so much time doing Nawaza that the, the transition was very similar. And it was easy. Once I learned a couple of little details, I'm like, oh, okay, I can kind of use my judo to have an advantage. But one of the things that I try not to do 
is use judo during jujitsu. So when I'm doing jujitsu, I try to just do jujitsu. I don't even start on my feet. Like now I start, I started my guard. I'm trying to improve my guard. I always start on the ground and, and I, and I work jujitsu in jujitsu. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to be disciplined enough to do that. Makes sense. Now, one question now that you are exposed to both words, and this is a perception that I have. I want to see if you agree or not. When I, when I compare the learning curve of judo and jujitsu, I personally think judo is way harder to make it work in you to, to actually be good at a throw. While I, in jiu-jitsu, it feels like you are evolving more rapidly because there are more options and uh, it just works. Um, the options just work. It, it doesn't require the amount of hours doing yeah. the same thing as you do in judo. Do you agree with that? I 100% agree with that. I was just having this conversation with somebody yesterday. Uh, I think that judo, it there's a lot. Again, we come back to that word patience. There's a lot of timing involved okay. in judo and throwing somebody. There's a lot of timing because people react in all different ways. You never know how somebody is going to react on their feet. Mm -hmm. So the timing that it requires to throw somebody and the technique that's required, it takes, if I teach you a throw today, you might not get that throw in live training for two months. That, that, that's, that's very common. Like if I teach you Tayatoshi today, it could take you two months until you throw your first person with that. Yeah. If I teach you sup if I teach you a sweep or a pass in jujitsu, you might get it next week. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and that's just, it's a timing thing in, in, in judo. It's a, it's incredibly hard. Um, and it takes a lot of timing. It takes a lot of timing. It takes a lot of technique and it takes a lot of hours doing that throw and learning all the different ways that people react and perfecting it for you. Because in judo, you know, I can do, my version of Tayatoshi might not work for you. So you're going to have to find out through trial and error what version works for you, what steps you have to take. You might have to tweak something, but again, it's, it's I think everybody is a little bit different. And I think that's the, that's the key to and, that. And during this lab time that you are trying to make it work for you, you get countered, nothing works, you get frustrated. And then many yeah. times you're like, this throw is not for me. Let me learn something else. So you just give up on, on yeah. that throw, which is a mistake, I think, right? What exactly, what you just said is the most important thing. What you just said, um, when people try to do it and they're like, ah, yeah, I'm getting countered, this is happening, I think I'll go to another throw. When they've been doing this throw for one month and now they're just gonna start all over from zero, where if they just would have given it maybe another week or two of trying it, it might, you know, it, it would start working. Yeah. It's a patience, it's a patience thing. It's a, it's a game of patience in judo. And that's it, that's all it comes down to. Another point uh, regarding those two sports that I also analyze based on my age and everything is about longevity. I feel that uh, in judo, many times, and for you to make a throw to work, you really have to commit 100% to really make it work. While in BJJ, you you have more opportunities to stall and you have more opportunities to fake, make things work without really going to full commitment. Um, yes. and, and that way is actually less aggressive on your body. Do you, do you, are you feeling the same with this transition? Of course, that's why I'm doing a lot of jujitsu right now. <laughs> it's very easy on my body. Um, I can go to a jujitsu training. I can do jujitsu training. I can train twice a day. There was a time that I was training before I opened uh, my facility. I was training twice a day uh, in BJJ. And although I was getting a really good workout, I would never wake up sore the next morning. And I was like, I could never do that in judo no, yeah. because of the constant impact. When you're throwing or you're getting thrown, there's constant impact on your body. And when you wake up the next day, you feel it. In jujitsu, it's a rolling, you're flowing, everything is nice, and you get a great workout and you feel great afterwards. So uh, yeah, I've been doing a lot of jujitsu these days. So for your master at, uh, uh, students that you are training now judo, what, what are the, the main tip that you give to them for, for them to first stay healthy, injury-free, and continue to make improvements in judo? Uh, I, the main, the main piece of advice that I not only give them, but all of my students is to be loose, to be loose while you're doing judo. A lot of times people want to, when they grab the gi, they grab as hard as they possibly can. Their arms are straight, their knees are locked out and they're not moving movement and being light on your feet and being loose. And if somebody comes in for a throw, 
take the fall. You know, we're just training right now. And you're teaching your body how to react to these throws. Now you can feel it. So you, you see it in a competition. If somebody comes in for that same throw, you feel it and then you know how to get out of it. But if you're always stiff, you can't see things coming and there's a lot higher chance of injury. So I preach from my three-year-old kids that just start out to some 75, 80-year-olds that I have on the mat, movement and being loose and it being able to feel judo and not being so tight. And that has that seemed to work. Uh, and a lot I, of my older guys, they're moving and they're, they're doing well. I heard this for so many uh, senseis that I've been working with. But I'll tell you one thing, and you probably heard this before, it's hard because your natural reaction as a beginner is to be stiff, right? Defensive. It's yep. so hard to switch your brain to just relax. It's really hard. It is incredibly hard. But I, like I said, when my guys walk through the front door, when they first walk through, I teach them, the first thing that I teach them is you never put your arms straight. Your arms and your knees are never locked out. They're always, they're always is bend, and I teach them everything that we do is moving. I don't even want them doing any static uchikomis. I want everything to be moving because judo is all moving. So we move every time. We're not doing Ronduri just standing still. Mm -hmm. So we're moving everything that they do. When they throw on the crash pad, they're moving first. And then when they transition to start doing Ronduri, they already, they're light on their feet and they're moving and it just decreases the chance of injury. And it allows them, I tell them, listen, just take the fall, slap them out as hard as you can. And they've been doing it. And I, I've been, I see so many times in my career that guys are, they're, they're, they get scared and the first thing they want to do is be stiff. Right. And that, that they, they stop moving. So I always emphasize movement and, and it's been working well. Uh, so you don't really do standing uchikomi just for the sake of repetition. Yeah, at the end I do it. Like at the end of training, I'll do some standing uchikomi when these guys are tired, um, just just for that. But most of the time, everything that I'm doing is moving. We warm up by doing moving uchikomis, then we do uh, combination uchikomis, then we do throws on the crash pad while moving down the mat. So I want everything to be moving, and then I don't have any of my athletes. When they're throwing on the crash pad, I do not have them land on each other. Mm. So I have them practice the technique the correct way, and I have them land. I have them uh, throw and remain and keep their balance as they're doing it. So if they're throwing with Uchimata, stay on that one leg to make sure that they are doing the techniques properly. Not, not rolling over, right? Not rolling over. Yeah, nope, yeah. not rolling over. I have them always, always stand, always control, and always hold on to your opponent. Awesome, awesome. And, and since uh, this podcast is about overcoming challenges, um, you briefly touched about that, but uh, throughout your, your career, uh, what was really the most challenging moment that you had to overcome? It was an injury, it was a mental blocker that you needed to do something, and, and, and it took a long time for you to do it. What you, you, you think it was the most uh, challenging uh, obstacle? Yeah, I, I had two very challenging obstacles. Uh, the first one, was in 2017. I had just moved to Boston to uh, train with Jimmy Pedro. I left San Jose State. I was training. I graduated from San Jose State University. I had a great, great run, great judo program out there. Um, I had left there to train with Jimmy Pedro and Travis Stevens. And um, within the first three months that I was out there, I tore my Liz Frank ligament in my foot. I was fighting in a local tournament. Oh. The, the Yeah, the week before I was supposed to go to the Netherlands to fight in the Grand Prix, I felt really good. Um, long story short, in the last match of the day, I tore my Liz Frank ligament. I still continued to fight on it, which was not the right decision. And I was out for eight months. I, uh, Now, just, for, I just, just to interrupt you, Cotton, I got the same yeah. injury two years ago oh. in a BJJ competition in Austin. So I know how hard Liz Frank is. It's horrible. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. And yeah, you know, not many people have that. That's why I'm surprised you even know what it is, yeah. but you've had it. So I guess I guess we're like family in a sense. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, eight months for you was... to get better? So you, during eight months, you could not train at all, right? I couldn't train at all. And I, had, like I said, I just moved to Boston, so I didn't really know many people there. Um, so I was sitting in the house, and, and the Olympic qualification was going on. So I was in the house, and the Olympic qualification was getting ready to start. I couldn't train, I couldn't do anything. And for the first, probably for the first month, 
I barely moved out of bed because I couldn't start physical therapy yet. It was just rest, recover, whatever. Um, and there was not much I can do. And um, the, the process of getting back from that was incredibly hard mentally and physically. Uh, it took a lot. It took a lot of more mental strength than I thought. And it took a lot to get me through that time. But I, I spent that time watching judo videos. And I actually spent that time getting uh, National Strength and Conditioning Association, getting a certification from them because I just needed something to do. Right. And I figured that this would this would help me better myself and it could work for me, you know, it could help me in my future. And that was actually kind of my saving grace because I was studying a lot and I was learning a lot more about the body. And I was I used it as a time to study my judo and I did a lot of reading and writing. Um, and that, that got me through that really hard period. And the first tournament I came back and I actually did pretty well. So, but it was a long journey. Oh, back. absolutely. And it was this your left or right foot? This was my right foot. And, um, yeah. so it was not your support foot, right? Because it was my support. Yeah, it was your support because you, you lefty. Lefty, so it was my support foot. Wow, so were you like very skeptical to put weight uh, when you were doing Uchimara and movement like that? That you have to put all the weight on your right foot? Were you skeptical about that? Absolutely, it took me a long time to come back. So when I came back, I had to wear wrestling shoes on the mat because I, I didn't have the support, so I needed a little extra arch. So I had to wear wrestling shoes just to support my foot. Then I would heavily tape the foot. I found a way to heavily tape it, but my judo had changed. I wasn't able, so this is another thing. I wasn't able, because I wasn't able to do what I normally did, I had to figure out new ways to do judo and it actually helped me. Hmm. So I wasn't able to do my regular Uchimata Harai because I wasn't able to put weight on my foot. So I had to get better at my Ashiwaza where I wasn't really having a lot of support on that foot and my footwork and my gripping as well. So it forced me, that injury forced me to expand and evolve with my judo. But you never changed your instance to be righty and, and try uh, to throw with the other leg, right? No, I had too much. Uh, there was, I was, I was racing against the clock, so I couldn't really do that. I had to stay with things I was kind of comfortable with. I couldn't go completely out of my comfort zone and change sides because I had, I had to compete in a couple of months, and I thought that would take me back too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, wow, that's that's amazing because it was exactly the same injury and uh, and. This September will be exactly two years, and uh, and I still don't feel 100% confident to do some throws because I don't feel, you know, uh, just it maybe it's a psychological blocker, but I'm still working on yeah. that. Uh, it, it's really hard. It's a very traumatic injury. Absolutely is. I, I, I can honestly say that I feel your pain literally. Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> <laughs> And during that uh, uh, period of time that you were recovering, you already mentioned that psychological was really tough on you, but you found this as studying as, as a way to cope with that. And do you and you also admit that now this injury helped you to expand your arsenal of uh, of throws. So at the end, this was uh, a positive event. Could you say that? This was a positive event, and it, it helped me. It helped me to realize that at any moment, judo can be taken away from me. You know, when you're when you're fighting and you're competing, and you're, all you do is judo, uh, you don't really think that at any moment this could all be taken away from you. And you have to have more than just judo. There has to be more in your life that you can fall back on than just judo. And that was the uh, well, that was the first reminder that. You know, I needed to, I needed to have my I needed to do more than just judo because when it's taken away from me, I felt like my whole world was crushed, right. and I couldn't live like that. It's almost that like you lo you losing your identity. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It was tough. It was it was really tough for me, uh, but that that time those eight months taught me. You know, you you got to have your eggs in more than one basket, and then you know if that didn't teach me enough, COVID came around, and then there was that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Now you have your own gym. You are helping students to, to progress on, on their journey uh, through judo. And probably, I know that uh, it's a brand new gym. You probably don't have this feeling yet, but you already have a good eye for good judo players that have, you know, the, the, the attitude and the, some key attributes that you look, wow, this person 
if they continue to invest, they actually will do well. So when you, yeah. when you see someone like that, what are the main attributes that you are that you look that you say, wow, this person probably is going to evolve really well? Uh, at, you know, the, the biggest thing that I see um, is is the attitude and the determination. The two biggest factors, I think, is attitude and determination. If I, I watch a kid's reaction, especially with the kids, I watch people's reaction when they get thrown. How do they react to getting thrown? If they get up and they get back in the other in their opponent's faces and they, they continue to try to throw and it doesn't deter them, I say, okay, this 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 kid could go far. And how receptive are they to, you know, how, how much do they listen? So a lot of times, especially dealing with adults now, they don't want to hear anything that you have to say. <laughs> so they're like, okay, yeah, I hear you. And then they just go back to doing what they want to do. But if a person can drop their ego and really listen to a coach, um, I, I, I think that they can also go very, very far. So, you know, they don't have a big ego as well as um, their attitude is great and they're not really affected by being thrown too much. And I think those two go hand in hand. Yeah, I think those are uh, very important attributes. Uh, it's a continuous improvement process, so you really have to, to embrace <laughs> embrace the suck and keep and keep doing right, knowing that uh, it, it won't be easy. It's a, it's a hard journey, and uh, but it's very rewarding uh, for sure. Absolutely, at the end of the day, it's it's incredibly rewarding. Even if I hadn't gone to two Olympics or anything like that. Um, the, the, the lessons and the values that judo has taught me, I don't think anything else in the world could teach me that. I don't think any amount of experience in any other field could ever teach me what judo has taught me. So I, you know, at the end of the day, this is, this is judo has been the biggest blessing in my life. Uh, on this interview that I was reading, um, there was something interesting that I read. It was that you, you've, you've been all over the place, uh, across the globe competing and everything, but it looks like your preferred place is Japan. Is that uh, is that be is that because of judo is or is because of their culture or both? Both. Uh, Japan was the first place that I ever went. So when I was when I just graduated high school, I was 17 years old, and um, before I went to college, I went to train in Japan for four and a half months. Wow! So I went to train and live in Japan by myself for four and a half months in 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 an all Japan all Japan University. So I was at Nihon University, which is one of the top schools in Japan for judo. They call it Nichidai. And I was the only American. I was the only foreigner in the dorms. So I was staying in the dorms with the judo guys. They have judo dormitories. There's like eight people to a room, all bunk beds. I was in one of the bunks. I didn't speak any Japanese. And wow. uh, yeah, it was tough. It was a very, very tough first three weeks. I had never trained like that in my life. And uh, they were really tough on me at first. But once the Japanese judoka saw that I wasn't going anywhere and every single time they threw me, I got back up and I came to practice every single day and I didn't have an excuse. And even though I didn't know when practice was going to end or when the trainings were ever going to end, I, I, I stayed with a positive attitude and I kept coming forward. And eventually they saw that and I have some of my best friends to this day and people I keep in close contact with are from that university and, and we went through a lot of tough times together, but they accepted me as one of their own. And that is why I absolutely love Japan. And I train there every summer, multiple times a year since then. Why do you think, since you have this uh, experience living there and training there, why do you think that they are so good at this art? I mean, they always have top players over and over. They always dominate. What it is is uh, is the training is the regiment. I mean, there is it must be something. There's, I think it's a combination of a few things. I think number one, they have a lot. The numbers they have sheer numbers. The number of people practicing judo in Japan are is insane. So you know they have a large pool to pick from. So to in order to rise to the top in Japan, you have to be incredibly good. I think that's that's number one. Number two, I think it's the way that they practice judo. So just right before, I, I I emphasize movement and being loose. And I think they do that and they allow themselves to feel judo. So they're not tight, they're they're very loose, they do and that allows them to do a lot of rondori. 
if you're tight, you know, you go to Europe, anywhere in Europe, France, Germany, any of those places, those guys are usually only doing six, seven rounds of Ronduri a night. When you go to Japan, they do 20 rounds of Ronduri a night. Wow. And the only reason that their the only way that their body can withstand that much Ronduri is because of the way they're doing it. They move, they're incredibly loose, and when they when they get thrown, they just take a fall. They don't try to resist it. So that's the way that they get they get through doing that. And then when you add all of their Ronduri up for the week, you know, you do 20 rounds of Ronduri a day, 5 days a week, that's 100 rounds of Ronduri. Where the Europeans and every, and the Americans and the South Americans, we've only done what's forty rounds. So they have sixty more rounds every week than we're doing, and I think that plays a big role. Yeah, no, that's uh, interesting. And they also start very early there, right? They start incredibly early, and they teach the fundamentals perfectly from a very young age. So a lot of times in this country, in the U.S., there will be people that teach judo. Uh, to kids and they're teaching them the wrong way. They don't teach the proper fundamentals. So then a kid will go through six, seven, eight years doing something wrong and then when they turn 17 and they finally get with a coach that's going to teach them the right fundamentals, they're not ever going to want to relearn that judo. So they just say, okay, whatever, and they just keep doing it the way that they want. But in Japan, they learn correctly from a young age, so their fundamentals and their technique are much better than most of the world. I heard, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard from, from someone that uh, in some places in Japan, they do not even have intermediate belts. They have from white to straight to black. Is that is that a thing? Uh, I'm not sure. I've only, I've seen, you know, some of the kids, I've seen kids with different color belts. I've never seen, I've only seen adults with white and black belts in Japan, yeah. <laughs> but I've seen kids have color yeah, belts. Yeah, but adults, it seems like you don't have like a transition. You go either from, you are white or you are black. Uh, it, yeah, exactly. There's not much in between. Yeah, and, 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 and the philosophy is almost like, okay, when you are black, you are ready to learn more is like it's just the beginning the black exactly that's you know even you know i have a traditional my sensei or that gave me my black belt yanesuka sensei he was from japan he went to nichidai university and all of that so you know he told me when he promoted me to my black belt when i earned my black belt he looked at me and said okay now your journey is just beginning now you can learn and i was like what do you mean i just got my black belt what do you mean now i can learn he's like no now you now you now you can learn and yeah that's the philosophy and it's great it's true yeah because you never stop learning i'm learning things now that i've never that i didn't know two months ago and you never ever 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 stop learning in judo true true um uh when the when it comes to training uh and and you you've been through this process of prepping everything how yeah. How much emphasis do you put on physical condition and weightlifting and like other type of exercise that is not really judo based? Is if you had to like put in percentage, you say like twenty percent of my time is on physical condition, and then I do ten percent weightlifting. How, how would be that balance? Um, it was probably you know when I would be in when I would do my strength and conditioning training, uh, most of it was towards injury prevention. Mm. I got most of my, the majority of my conditioning, my conditioning came from judo. I would do a lot of judo. And all the strength and conditioning was there for was to make sure that I could do more judo. So it was to make sure my body was strong enough and limber enough to do as much judo as I could without getting injured. So a lot of my my strength conditioning stuff was was a lot of core work. It had a lot of mobility there, and it was a lot of functional training. So single leg deadlifts, SLDL, things of that nature. Um, and I did conditioning. I did a lot of aerodyne sprints on the aerodyne, but never things that were going to take away from from my judo. So never things that I wanted to get all of my conditioning out in judo if possible. So we had all of our conditioning sports specific. Um, so yeah, most of my training was functional training and making sure my body was able to withstand the training, the judo training. And from this strength perspective, you never really focus on having like heavy lift days or you were not really worried about that. There were periods like when I wasn't competing, the only issue is I was competing right when we got back from COVID um, I was competing twice a month. So 
I never had a time to go through like a hypertrophy program and things of that nature. But when I had blocks of like, when I had like a eight weeks until I was competing in my next tournament, I would do a heavy lifting program. So I would do that and I would do less judo and I would do a heavy lifting program for about four to five weeks. And then when I was starting to focus on judo again, I would, I would switch it up. But if I was lifting heavy, I was doing less judo. Yeah, because I've seen just... I've seen some videos from Ono doing some heavy lifting. It was like extremely impressive. I mean, deadlifts, oh. squats, single arm roll with 120 pounds. It was like, wow, this yeah. this dude is actually lifting heavy. Oh yeah, he's li he lifts extremely heavy and he's really strong. I think he goes between that and running stairs. He runs a lot of stairs. So, but he lifts really, really heavy and. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think everybody has their own thing. But you look at Ono, and Ono also only ever competed once a year. So That's of course a good he point. Can yeah, but I, I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure that he still ran Doria uh, almost every day. Don't you think? Oh yeah, again, and that the he ran Doria every day. I know that for a fact. And but the thing is, is he's loose. They're loose again. So he wasn't really he wasn't putting an insane amount of stress on his body because he was using his movement he was using a lot of technique and he wasn't really using they don't they don't use a lot the japanese don't usually use a lot of strength right. during ronduri so it allowed him he could lift really heavy and also do ronduri that's something that you said that i noticed i i I've watched some of the of the japanese training and uh is almost like jujitsu flow because they go so light and suddenly they explode but you don't see a lot of uh like heavy yeah. uh, or aggressive stuff it's very flow it's, it's beautiful to watch beautiful to watch and it's it's beautiful to do so you know they feel judo they feel so it's yeah. not a lot they allow themselves to feel judo and i think that it makes for the biggest of throws and it less injuries and it's just it's it's beautiful it's it's a beautiful thing yeah uh now that you are transitioned to this uh new career of say as uh gene owner coach um and and looking back for your athlete life so there is the cotton olympian and now the the coach gene owner what do you believe will be uh, more challenging for you to and what which one do you think will bring more fulfillment for you <laughs> that's the thing um you know i think both the more challenging and will bring more fulfillment is coaching you know i tell everybody when i was an athlete it was very hard you know training i trained very hard but i was very selfish i had to be selfish and now i'm selfless so i it, it's a it's a complete 180 like i don't I, I i don't worry about myself anymore it's all about my athletes And that takes more energy than just worrying about myself. When I had to worry about myself, it was easy because I was in complete control. Yeah. Now I'm not in control. So I want to be on the mat and I want to do it for them, but I can't. So I have to figure out ways, different ways to convey, you know, what I, what I want them to do. And also, um, but you know, at the same token, when I see my athletes do something, when they, I see them train really hard, and achieve something that they wanted to achieve, get a really nice throw or win a match or win a tournament, it brings me more joy than I would have for myself winning. Uh, and that I never thought would happen. I actually was expecting this reason for you, to be honest with you, because uh, it's, <laughs> uh, this, and that's why I said more fulfillment, because when you have a, a bunch of people that are counting you as a coach and you see them succeed, it's like you succeed, you know? And, yes. And, but in way more, you are replicating that happiness throughout many other people. So, and that's, uh, that's quite amazing. Yeah, it's an, it's an honor. Like I said, I, I'm getting on a plane tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. and I'm going down to Peru to coach the uh, Junior Pan Am team. So, oh, really? That's amazing. Uh, cool. Yeah, so it's 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 a lot. It's amazing, but again, I'm I'm so happy. Everybody's like, Colton, how do you do this? You wake up really early, teach private lessons throughout the day, then you teach all your classes, then you have private lessons after that, and now you're getting on a plane and you're going to coach the national team. How are you doing all of that? And I couldn't see myself doing anything else. This isn't work to me. Yeah. This is uh it's I'm I'm having I'm having a great time and I hope I see some athletes win some medals this weekend. It'll make me even happier. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see um your corner reaction because as you said, you you've been on this sport <laughs> for 23 years. You you are 
very used to the feeling of be there to compete. Now you cannot be there inside the mat, but you know it'll be interesting to to see the reaction uh, of uh, a corner coach. Uh, at it. Yes. <laughs> It's, it's, it's very, I'll tell you one thing. It's very animated. I coached, I was in Colombia a few months ago coaching the juniors and I was in Portugal last two months ago coaching the seniors. And when the athletes win, I feel like I win. I jump out of the chair. I'm going, and you know, judo is a really respectful yes. sport. So you're not supposed to do these things, but I can't help myself. So that's, I, I, I coach with a lot of passion. Yeah, and, and it makes a huge difference because it make I would tell you, it makes a huge difference not only for you but for the athlete too because there are there are a lot of athletes that they when they go to the mat and you probably felt that at some point in time they feel that they have to honor the coach they have they feel that they have like to show respect and and when they win they look at the coach and and almost like that is for you right so there is that yeah. feeling also from the athletes to the coach of respect. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 a really good thing and I think the athletes when they know that you're really in their corner and you're really there with them and they feel like you're out there fighting with them in a sense because you are. Um, you know, I think when they win or lose, they know that you're there with them to either carry that burden or or to to bask in that success. And uh, you know, it it just builds the bond between athlete and coach. Yeah. Well, amazing uh, uh conversation Cotto. thank you very much for taking the time to record this one day prior to to travel i'm glad i was able to catch up today because i'm not sure Absolutely. when it's gonna be available again but uh, congratulations yes. on the gin it looks beautiful i saw the pictures i'm already following on on instagram uh the match looks awesome everything looks great congratulations Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here. I had a great time talking to you. Absolutely, my friend. Uh, safe travels and uh, keep doing great things. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Good talking to you. All right, everyone. That's a wrap for today's episode of Overcome Podcast. See you again next